0: From the book of Isaiah, beginning with verse 10 of chapter 61 and continuing through verse 3 of chapter 62, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain silent till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication, and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hands of your God. The word of the Lord.
1: From the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, and chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. The word of the Lord. And would
2: you stand, please, for our gospel reading? Our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, uh, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 1, continuing through verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and the only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. This morning for this Christmas tide, this Christmas season, these 12 days of Christmas, we're grateful for the incarnation, for your humbling of yourself to put on our flesh and become like us. We're grateful that there are implications for us that are beyond our understanding and our imagination. We are gifted by who you became for us. We are grateful for that, and we are grateful for our time together this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. When, this is just rambling for a minute. When Ellen and I first visited um, this church, not that long ago, um, we... um, I I noticed Preston stuck really close to this notebook. And I kept thinking, I wonder why he does that. He carries it everywhere he goes. Because it tells you everything to do. (laughs) That's why we do it. Oh, did that break? Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, you're good. Uh, You're good. Sorry it happened. And I'm a little self-conscious about having the microphone on because I think you can hear me. But it's for recording purposes, and, and I'm a little ADD, so when I thought about recording, I thought about this story so you're going to hear it, okay? Um, uh, my son, my we have a daughter and two sons, and my youngest um, loves the fact that I play the piano because he likes music and um, plays guitar and learns to play almost anything he picks up, but he's, he likes it, and... Uh, so, I, many years ago, probably before he was born, I had just written two arrangements of things that I play, and he, when he comes home, he asks me to play those, and he was home for the holidays. And he asked me to play those, and then he said, you know, you need to record those. Because one day, <laughs> and then he realized where he was going. Dad's getting old. He's not gonna be able to play these much longer. <laughs> And I said, son, it's not age. It's that when you turn the microphone on, something happens to me, and I stumble all over my fingers, and I can't play them. So uh, I still haven't recorded them for him, and uh, he will still ask me every time. But we're recording this, um, and I guess now everybody's going to hear the story. Um, I, I appreciate Preston asking me to do this. There are plenty of people capable of doing this, but uh, I am glad that Preston and his family are with their family for the holidays. I will also be glad when they get back. Uh, but it's, I'm glad they have that time. I'm glad they have that freedom and get to relax, although Preston was texting early this morning about coffee and <laughs> different things to be set up. So uh, it's on, we're on his mind all the time, and I'm grateful for a pastor like that. I would also tell you that John 1 is as loaded as it gets. And for somebody who doesn't do this regularly, it's hard to know how to pick what to talk about in John 1. So I'm gonna tell you ahead of time, I'm focusing on verses one and two. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And then I wanna jump down to the Word became flesh and go to the end of the chapter. Um, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Those are important words for us. Uh, The Gospel of John is unique among the Gospels. I'm getting really basic here. Um, uh, It's unique among the Gospels. We have three Gospels that tell the story pretty chronologically. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the same. Uh, let me get back a little more basic. Gospel, when we talk about gospel, gospel refers to good news. Uh, and in our faith context, it refers specifically to the good news that there's forgiveness for our sins. Uh, that's one of the first things we do in worship is we confess our sins corporately and we accept the fact that we are forgiven. That That's something God does. It's not something we've earned, but he's chosen to do. Um, so there is forgiveness for sin, because of the punishment for sin that Jesus suffered for us on the cross at Golgotha. Um, Again, being very basic, there is one gospel. We talk about the four gospels, but we're not talking about four different sets of truth. We're talking about one gospel. Uh, There is one way that God, uh, Jesus lived his life, his way of uh, rescuing us from sin. But when we talk about the four gospels, we're talking about the four writers really. So they're not, um, they're not four different Gospels. Uh, we speak of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we don't mean that there are four different ones. It's just that there are four people who wrote the Gospel down for us, but from different perspectives. And to complicate that, we talk about the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are from the same viewpoint, which means basically that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of Jesus, beginning with his birth and going through his life. Uh, John takes a different approach. John um, focuses uh, differently on telling about Jesus and the gospel of Christ uh, than do the first three writers. Um, For example, in his different approach, there's very little in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, that are in John, and there are things that are in John that don't appear at all in any of the other three Gospels. Um, As you would expect, there are people over the centuries who have said, well, that means John's writing about a different person. Um, Not at all. Uh, It it doesn't take much reading uh, of John to realize that he is talking about the same Jesus the same gospel, uh, but uh, John is a different uh, writer. John starts out um, not with the birth. Um, uh, Mark also doesn't start with the birth, but it's a much shorter uh, record of the gospel as well. Um, It is important to recognize that John starts out with language that sounds very much like the opening of the Bible in Genesis 1. In the beginning he says, uh, making reference to the Old Testament. And John's doing that uh, very intentionally. I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself somewhere, but uh, he is, uh, he's doing that very intentionally because John is trying to establish something that the first three gospels aren't really trying to do. They are trying to tell us the story, uh, mostly birth uh, through death and resurrection. John is really trying to establish that Christ was preexistent with God the Father, that he uh, has the authority of the Father. He is one with the Father. So he starts with an Old Testament reference, uh, as if we're starting over in the book of Genesis. Uh, These first 18 verses that we read for the gospel reading are the prologue to John, and they introduce John's perspective to us and his emphasis. So um, he says, in the beginning, uh, which are the same words that open the New Testament account, it's almost like um, it's so familiar to John. It's like when we tell a story to children, we say once upon a time, but it's um, it's not that light. We should take it as weightier, because he is saying in the beginning, because he is attributing the beginning to God, he is saying that this is God's plan, this is God's show, God laid it out, God pulled it off, and Jesus was preexistent with God. He's not some God who came along, which is a theory, um, not one that we necessarily give a lot of credit to. He also says, in the beginning was the Word. Um, The only other reference to the Word is um, in the Gospels. Luke makes reference to the Word. It's the word logos, we're all familiar with, the Greek word logos that refers to, it means word. It was a commonly understood word um, and it was understood as deity. Uh, there were other belief systems of the day uh, in which, to which John is writing. that use the word logos, and they, they refer to logos as this divine source of something. But logos, very clearly, to these people, was not a person. Uh, it was not a being. It was a force, so to speak. Um, and John is making clear that we understand logos as God's Word. This is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. Note that the verb is past tense, um, where he says in the beginning was the Word. He's not saying that the Word was and no longer is. What he's doing is establishing a sense of continuity. Uh, That far back, (laughs) the Word was with God. He's establishing that God was there, uh, that Jesus was there. In the beginning of the, in the beginning, um, my ADD entertains me every now and then. (laughs) Um, In the beginning of the prologue, uh, he says, in the beginning was the word, but the word is not identified until later, verses 14, 15, as Jesus. So, um, we know the word, the Lagos, to be Jesus himself. And so it, it's past tense, but he's certainly not saying that the word no longer is. Uh, it's more like the word that now is was in existence before the world began. That's the implication he's making. Notice too that he, he refers to the word in the opening statement. He's confronting culture you're thinking of the Word, we're thinking of a person. You're thinking of a, a, a power or a source or a, uh, some kind of um, uh, being other than a person. And John is saying, in the beginning was the Word, and he is personalizing the Word as a person. He's calling him uh, by name. So he makes reference to this uh, uh, Lagos," which is, as I said, a familiar word, and he's taking it one step further. He's not, I don't think he's being insulting by kind of in your face, but I think he's also not backing away from it. He is saying, uh, this Lagos, this being Jesus is significant to us. He is authoritative. He was with God from the beginning. So John's opening line makes reference to the word, the Lagos who is identified near the end of the prologue as Jesus. Um, John makes two curious statements in the opening um, that the Word was with God and the Word was God. Um, That could easily pass us up because we are so flooded with uh, thoughts, or con- the concept of Trinity. We're, we are, uh, those of us who've been in church for a while, uh, those of you who've been attending here for very long, we open up with welcome in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We dismiss ourselves collectively that way. Uh, we sign it as sort of embodying this idea that God is Trinitarian. Uh, that wasn't necessarily something as easily understood or readily understood. Um, when th- there's a separateness that's implied. If I say I was with Ellen yesterday, that, that implies a separateness so that it makes it significant that we were together. Uh, so he says this with, and then he says he was with God, and then he says he was God. We want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, uh, those two statements could get lost uh, in our reductive thinking because we have uh, an assumed or presumed understanding of Trinity. Um, with God, uh, as I said, suggests this separateness and being God suggests this oneness. And John wants us to understand the Lagos this way. Um, so... John wants us to understand this gospel uh, account with uh, the clear base that Jesus is God. He wants us to think of the gospel, this logos as Jesus and that Jesus is God, not only with God, but is God. He also wants us to understand that Jesus was preexistent with God before creation. He was God and He is God. That has never changed and it never will. But the question for me uh, in thinking through this comes, so what do we do with that? What do we do with that reality? How will it matter to us that the Christmas child was with God before anything was created and before He made the world and then He was born into that world? Will it matter? Can that make a difference to a world overburdened and nearly overcome by chaos, becoming accustomed to chaos and accepting it as the norm? What does it matter in that kind of world that we celebrate a baby born into this world from another preexistent existence? I don't know what else to call it. Um, What does it matter that this baby was born into this world and is known as the Prince of Peace? Born into chaos and called the Prince of Peace. With the birth of Jesus in a manger in a town named Bethlehem, by the way, the name Bethlehem is the same word from which we get bedlam or chaos. So, With the birth of Jesus in a manger in a town called Bethlehem, on anything but a silent night, do we trust the Prince of Peace not to be surprised or overwhelmed by our bedlam and its seemingly inevitable hopelessness? Is he our peace? Do we trust him to bring peace? Or do we trust something else or someone else to anchor us? maybe something or someone we feel that we might have more control over than we will ever have over God. These questions, however awkwardly emoted, are not easily dismissible. These questions are central to our living the gospel. Share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Uh, It's an old statement. I'm sure you've heard it. I like it there are people who don't like it, and they don't like it for this reason, and I'm going to ask you to dismiss these reasons. (laughs) They suggest that saying, share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words, means that words aren't important in sharing the gospel. And they talk about how many people have we not shared the gospel with because we thought that verbalizing the gospel was offensive or not necessary. The statement isn't implying that we shouldn't use words at all. The statement is implying that we should live in such a way that the characteristics, the implications of the gospel, should bear themselves out as characteristics in our lives. So share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Words are definitely important in sharing the gospel, but you can't ice a cake that isn't there. What I mean is, if people have not seen the gospel in our lives, if, even if they don't know it's the gospel that they're seeing, if they haven't seen the gospel in our lives, they will be far less likely to believe this gospel that we're commending to them, um, even uh, to believe that it's not worth their time. They want to see that it matters, that it makes a difference in who we are. They want to see the implications of the gospel. um, A good Christian word made manifest in our lives. Operative, working, uh, defining us, characterizing us. Um, If a man who believes, says he believes airplanes are the wave of the future, but he has never ridden one because he's afraid, that man is giving a contradictory testimony. How can something not trustworthy enough to use be a good direction for the future? If we're not engaging the world with our lives, changed, strengthened, and empowered by the realities of the gospel, why would anyone believe the gospel could change them? For that our greatest hope is placed rightly in the Holy Spirit to lead them and us into faith and to living out of faith. It's an interesting thing to say um, when the Bible has been left for us in words that it should, our lives should look like the gospel. But it, it's an interesting characteristic to observe that people in general, if I live one way and yet talk another way, you're more likely by nature to believe my actions more than my words. So just emphasizing that he's talking about this word, um, the word being Jesus, but we should look like him. We should live our lives like him. And I don't mean any guilt or shame by the statement that we should live lives that declare the gospel. It's not that kind of should. What I mean by should here is that it's reasonable. It's reasonable to expect that the gospel applied to our lives, uh, a gospel with which we are cooperating and to which we are acquiescing, will be characterized by the claims of that gospel. We will be. So how does this happen? What is the basis for living a life characterized by the claims of the gospel? This is where I want us to move to verse 14. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us, it says. The Word, think Jesus, think with God, think was God, think is God. The Word became flesh. Um, That suggests that He took on human form, but way more than that. It suggests that Um, He became incarnate and in that way became like us in the whole of human experience. Uh, The divine word, in other words, had become human Jesus. The divine logos became human Jesus and lived for a while among us. Lived for a while is translated in other passages as dwelt among us. It actually is a great Old Testament word. Um, it says that Jesus tabernacled among us. I'm sure most of you have heard this. But it does imply the temporariness of the tabernacle, (laughs) that Jesus lived among us for a while. Um, And then John says, um, in his desire to establish that the coming of God in human form was clearly witnessed, he says, we have seen his glory. Uh, It's doubtful that we there implies you and me. We were not there. We didn't see the human Jesus. He's not implying that we have seen that glory. He is, remember, he's establishing the fact that there's a reason to write a gospel from this perspective. And what he's saying is, I saw him. I watched him. My friends saw him. We saw what he described as his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing or another, or we've seen received grace upon grace, uh, and as other translations say, which seems to suggest that there is an increase in our growth toward the fullness of grace as well. Grace doesn't come on us all at once. Uh, Ellen and I were talking about uh, things that are different to us uh, in sacrament church than in other churches we've been in and how we're grateful for that. It makes us think differently uh, about things. A person doesn't get saved and all of a sudden everything has changed. And, And how do we know how much has been changed and how much of that is God and why didn't He change more? And why did he change the things he changed? It it feels a little more settled uh, for me when it says that we've received this grace upon grace. God is continually blessing us, blessing upon blessing, and he's directing that change. Our job is to cooperate with it. Um, So it says... um, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here, from all the discussions this passage gives birth to, it seems to me that we need, especially in Christmastide, to see the declaration that Jesus' revelation of God is greater than Moses' revelation of God. Uh, that becomes important to me because... Um, and we'll come back to this, but I I love the idea that this passage says that no one has seen God, but Jesus revealed God. We've seen him and we haven't. We'll come back to that. Um, And the next verse says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the only son, or God, the one and only, um, which is a reference to Jesus. It affirms the fact that Jesus is deity with God, Um, He is at the Father's side and has made the Father known, John says. John testifies fervently that he has seen the human Jesus full of grace and truth. He wants us to know that he's seen him, and he wants us to know that no one has ever seen God. Not even Moses was allowed to look upon God. In a sense, we've seen him, and we haven't. Jesus making the Father known by taking on flesh and being full of grace and truth makes it possible for us to know the Father from whom we receive this grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing, increasing the fullness in us. This is our hope. He is our hope. I want you to hear that this morning, if nothing else. He is our hope do this. It's going to feel a little like a left turn, but do this with me. Think about Iraq, Yemen, Syria, Africa. Think about South America. Think about exploited people who are victimized just for being different, if nothing else. Think about those who believe in the power of the knife or the bullet or the vehicle or the bomb to cripple people, maim people, or destroy some self-serving cause or other. Think about those whose lives are altered by recent floods, earthquakes, tsunami, fire. Think about people in people groups who are marginalized from culture, because of skin color or sexual orientation, religion, poverty, disability, mental illness. I trust those of you who know me know that this is not some rank politicization of the gospel. That would be an abuse of the privilege I have this morning. And it would be a misuse of our time and God's word. With this list, I simply hope for a few minutes to draw us out of the relative quiet, comfort, warmth, and sense of belonging that this room represents. So we can consider more realistically the impact of this great hope we've been given. Chaos seems to be everywhere, and it seems to be gaining steam. But... Though no one has ever seen God, I've seen Him, you've seen Him. As we celebrate this miraculous birth of Jesus, as we watch Him grow into a young man through the pages of the Bible, He has shown us God. He has revealed the Father to us. And we have seen Him. When we encounter people who have been exploited or abused or suffered great loss or received tragic news of life-threatening illness, we pray. We pray together every Sunday. Why? Because He is our hope, else we would have no hope. We don't get on our knees and cry out to God, describe these circumstances and needs only to say, I wish you could do something about this, but I know you can't. We don't say, if you had only seen this happening, I know you could have stopped it, but keeping up with everything everywhere at all times is too much to expect of anyone. And we don't say, if these things mattered to you, God, if only Iraqi lives mattered to you as much as American lives, If only homeless people mattered to you as much as the rich. If only belonging mattered to you, there'd be no need for refugee camps. No, we pray. We appeal to God about these things. There is no one else to turn to. God sent His one and only into the world to show us who He is. He is our hope, our only hope, and he's full of grace and truth. He has called us to grow into his likeness, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates, and to allow our hearts to be broken for what breaks his. We pray because we hope, and then sometimes we hope because we've prayed. We've prayed to the one God. He wants us to know his name in this season of Christmas, especially it matters that he's called a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Jesus whose birth we celebrate was with God. He was God, he is God. No small thing then that we sing, come thou long expected Jesus born to set your people free, born to reign in us forever. Let us find our rest or our peace in thee. Israel's strength and consolation and hope of all the earth thou art. You're the dear desire of every nation and the joy of every longing heart. Still, still, we invite him into the pain and injustices of our world. And he invites us to enter into them with him, to wrestle against sin in the world and sin in ourselves. Until that day, pointed to in John's revelation, in which the kingdoms of this world are become the the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Now let earth receive her King. Let's pray together. Father, we believe, and we know we believe because we pray. Not some empty exercise of talking through but talking to the God who's been revealed to us. We are grateful that Jesus came enfleshed as we do, that he humbled himself, submitted himself to a life designed for our redemption. We are grateful that that redemption not only frees us from our sins, but it heals us from sin. It continually heals us from sin and invites us to be part of bringing hope to a world that seems at times to prefer chaos. Help us to be people of hope. Help us to be people who embody the promises of the gospel. I pray for this church, for these people. Brothers and sisters under you as our Father, help us to be the gospel wherever we are. Thank you for the reminder in your word that we are called to Be holy in all that we do. You have not called us to do holy things. It is through our obedience that you do redemptive, holy works in the world. Help us to be those people for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.